0: Welcome to Friday Friends, R.I. Elder Info's weekly look at the organizations and individuals providing resources for Rhode Island seniors, caregivers, and professionals. Good morning, everyone. Happy Friday. It is 9 a.m. on Friday, so you know what this is. This is Friday, friends. You know, every Friday at 9 a.m., me, Deb Burton, the Executive Director of RI Elder Info and creator of rielderinfo.com, comes on here to share with you organizations and people who are doing amazing work And have amazing information that you or someone you know cares about and for the month of june we have been using all of our friday friends to raise awareness about different ways to prevent elder abuse or to raise awareness that it exists because it is something that we are all at risk for as we age and we want to stay safe ourselves as well as make sure those friends and family that are in the community stay safe. So really glad to, to have you join me here today because the information that you get today may be something that can make a difference in someone's life that you know. So it's really important that you hit the like button and the share button and get this information out today. As I say every week, we are a nonprofit and we are dependent on our sponsors and our donors for whom we are very grateful. And I want to give a big shout out to Oak Street Health. They're one of our amazing year long sponsors. They provide primary care to individuals receiving Medicare in offices located in Warwick by the Christmas tree shop two places in Providence and another in Woonsocket, not far from Planet Fitness. Also, Aetna has joined the RI Elder Info family. They are another wonderful Medicare provider here in the state. They have some amazing programs, including some stuff on YouTube regarding music therapy that is absolutely fascinating. So I encourage you to check that out. We are super grateful to United Healthcare. I have had the privilege of making some community events at some food pantries with one of their uh, individuals, Ernie, who is absolutely amazing and just has a wonderful heart for, for serving older adults. So I encourage you to also check out United Healthcare. And if you or someone you love, Needs assisted living. There's a wonderful little assisted living right over by Lowe's in in the Rhode Island Mall area called Tamarisk Assisted Living. They really treat your loved one like family. And this, what you're seeing here, that's the magic of 321 Media. So that I can be hands free and just concentrate on talking to my guests and having a good time and sharing that good time with you. That's 321 Media. So if you need anything like this, I encourage you to reach out to Ben. He's an amazing guy. And rielderinfo.com, the award-winning website that we have, that is done by the magic of England Studio. England Studio is an award-winning web design team located here in Rhode Island that can meet your web design needs anywhere in the world, really. So it, it is with all of their support that I am able to bring this information to you every week. And I am incredibly grateful. They really are the heart and soul of of R.I. Elder Info. So today we are talking about intimate partner violence and the programs that are available. So some of this may make you feel uncomfortable. So I just wanted to give you a trigger warning that if you um, feel any emotional distress or anything, please feel free to turn off the show and seek some guidance. We will have some resources available that I will be putting up. Um, in the comment section so that you can get the help that you might need. I want everybody to feel safe but be informed about this really important thing. So I'd like to invite this week's guest up, Ms. Lori Harris of the Intimate Partner Violence Assistance Program. How are you, Lori? Good. How are you, Deb? Good. Very good. I'm so glad that you're able to join me this month as we raise awareness of, of elder abuse and and intimate partner violence. These things are, are something that are not often comfortable to, to talk about. Can you tell us more about the IPV program at the VA?
1: Sure, so the IPV program at the VA um, was developed and the mission at the VA is they wanted to implement a comprehensive, person-centered, recovery-oriented assistant program for veterans, their families, and caregivers, as well as VHA employees who may use or experience intimate partner violence. The vision at the VA is that the hope is that veterans, the families, caregivers who receive care at the VA and also the VHA employees will not experience or use intimate partner violence or, you know, any kind of violence or abuse and will be free from the negative consequences resulting from such violence.
0: What is considered intimate partner violence? Like we we hear about like wife beating. Mm -hmm. Um, but what is intimate partner violence? Is it just between
1: spouses? Intimate partner violence describes any violent behavior included, including but not limited to physical or sexual violence, stalking and psychological aggression by a current or former intimate partner that acts on a continuum continuum of frequency and severity. It ranges from maybe it's one episode that might or might not have lasting impact to chronic and chronic issues or several episodes over a period of years. It can be heterosexual or in same-sex relationships, and it does not require sexual intimacy or cohabitation, but they are individuals that were, you know, involved in some type of, of relationship, intimate relationship, whether it's current or past.
0: Okay, so it doesn't have to be someone who is necessarily um, your sexual partner, but it could be someone that you you live with um, and someone that that you're you're close to. Interesting that IPV is also it's also considered IPV if it is your former partner, like the ex girlfriend or the ex boyfriend or ex spouse.
1: Right. Um, and that's why they call it intimate partner violence is because at somewhere in your lifetime. You had that type of relationship that involved the intimacy of two people. Yep.
0: Yeah. And so what's the difference in the terminology of domestic violence and elder abuse?
1: So domestic violence involves anything invo- including child abuse, elder abuse or other types of interpersonal violence. They don't have to have any intimacy or like an intimate relationship. Elder abuse is considered harm of another adult, of an older adult by another person or entity that occurs in any setting, either in a relationship where there is an expectation of trust or or when an older person is targeted based on their age or disability.
0: So it really is something that a a couple may have engaged in domestic violence for a long time. Mm -hmm. And then does that go away as people age? If there's a couple who is violent or if there is an individual who is violent in a relationship um, or is abusive in a relationship, does that go away?
1: Not necessarily. Um, People don't age out of behaviors. Um, in order to change behaviors, you know, we, the hope is that they would engage in some type of problem solving communication, um, program to help them develop better skills. But just because the person's getting older, doesn't mean that their behaviors or language change over time.
0: Okay. And how often is intimate partner violence? What's the incident rate of that in elders?
1: Right now they are saying approximately one in 10 Americans age 60 plus have experienced some type of IPV or elder abuse.
0: Mm-hmm. So one in 10, when you think about that, think about like your five favorite couples that you know, like one of them is in an unsafe situation or at mm-hmm. some point has been a victim.
1: Right. They're saying that um, there was one study from 2002 to 2016, where they had stated that 643,000 older adults were treated in the emergency department for non-fatal assaults. And over 19,000 homicides occurred. So it's very large numbers.
0: Wow. And when you think about the impact of elder abuse, of course, there's the the impact to the individual, but the amount of health care that one may require because they're abused when they're older is significantly greater. Sometimes when we get older, our, our bones become more fragile, our, our skin becomes more fragile. And you might have been able to sustain falling backwards when somebody pushed you when you were in your 20s, but not so much when you're in your 80s.
1: Right, no. and the abuse doesn't just. I'm sorry. Oh, no, go ahead. The abuse doesn't just end with like physical. So there's um emotional, mental health issues that is related to it. The physical health, like what you're talking about, but there's also social, economic issues that are related to it, like housing, people's finances, their family units are very much um, disrupted and changed. So the cost goes far beyond just the medical aspect of intimate partner violence or slash domestic violence, elder abuse. The cost is high.
0: Yeah, very now uh, for many people who are watching, um, hopefully everybody watching, it was aware of our calling all veterans day event that took place last Saturday and you are with the VA hospital Mm -hmm. is intimate partner violence more common among veterans, or are they more often victims? Is there any differences when it comes to intimate partner violence and veterans?
1: Yeah. So in the veteran population, right now in the general population, they state that one in three women and one in four men will experience some form of intimate partner violence throughout their lifetime. For veterans, they're stating veterans may be twice as likely to experience IPV. So that would be two in three women and two in four men. So significantly higher.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And that is when they say experience, that means more along the lines of victim of intimate partner violence versus being the abuser?
1: It's a combination of both. They're They're twice as likely to experience IPV. I don't know exact numbers as far as being the perpetrator or the user of the IPB behaviors, but that mm-hmm. is probably also higher than in the general population. And there's many factors that kind of relate to that. So a lot of the veterans might have, um, maybe they've deployed combat veterans, so they come back, they might have post-traumatic stress disorder. There's a lot of military and family life stressors that go on due to separation, isolation. Um, There may be some mental health concerns or alcohol and drug use. There's loss of trust and moral distress related to experiences they had um, due to the combat deployments in support of protecting, you know, the United States and all of us. Um, There's some issues related to increased anger and decreased frustration tolerance is also an issue that they face sometimes. This doesn't mean all veterans who deploy are faced with these things, but they are more apt to have, you know, the complexity of some of these issues involved within their life and their experiences.
0: Right. And we don't want to have a stereotype that, you know, all veterans have been victims or that all veterans will be victimized. This is something that happens for some people. Um, Exactly. Now we often think of, the, the man being the perpetrator and the woman being the victim um, in our standard um, stereotyped uh, relationships that many people think of. Can, can men be victims of domestic violence?
1: Yeah, they're kind of like the silent victims in domestic violence or IPV because like you said, there is a stereotype that the men are the perpetrators and not necessarily the victims. But there is um, information out there that about 1 in 25 men have been injured by intimate partner and 5.1 million men in the United States have been stalked in their lifetime.
0: Wow. You know, it's, it's interesting that There are a lot of awareness campaigns directed at women that, um, if he demands your password to your phone and all your social media accounts, and if he wants access to your bank accounts that, you know, these are some things that could be red flags, but when it's a man, if she wants access. To your social media accounts and your bank accounts and your phone, and she freaks out because you have a text from, I don't know, your neighbor Sally next door or your, you know, your ba, your your neighbor Mike next door. Um, that can be intimate partner violence too
1: yeah and there's been studies and there's different um things out there showing some studies of where they set up as the man the man being the victim and the female being the perpetrator and a lot of times people walk by because they feel like the men should be quote unquote like stronger or they're bigger more able to handle that situation and when you reverse the role more people will stop and intervene on the woman's behalf where they will walk by on a man's behalf.
0: Yeah. Yeah. When that, when you see that woman flipping out, smacking somebody, I don't care who you are and what your relationship is smacking. Somebody's not okay.
1: Right. Um,
0: bullying people, not okay. What are some of the types of abuse that can occur in an intimate partner violent situation?
1: So the types of abuse would include physical, like we talked before, and that would be considered intentional use or physical force to cause harm to somebody, Mm -hmm. whether that's hitting, kicking, punching, pinching, you know, any type of physical um, use of force. There's also sexual, so forced sexual interaction, including penetration, unwanted contact or non-contact acts, such as harassment um keeping someone out from them.
0: Oh, yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't have thought of that, but the other part that falls under sexual unwanted pictures.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And that's a lot that falls under a lot of the technological things today, you know, with Facebook and Twitter and YouTube and all that and people taking pictures and putting them out there. That's, you know, would be considered illegal, but it's hard to get them off afterwards.
0: Right. Once so it's out a there, lot it's out there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And with that, it, you know, there's emotional and psychological abuse, you know, and that could fall underneath that too. The pictures and stuff that's so verbal or nonverbal behaviors, causing mental pain, fear or distrust. You know, and then we have neglect and abandonment, you know, like failure to meet basic needs. Providing food, water, shelter, clothing, you know, ensuring that people have their hygiene met and proper medical care, even dental care, or leaving a dependent adult alone without planning for their care. So that's almost like false, that's an abandonment. You know, they're not able to care for themselves and you know, someone just leaves them there for the whole day. There's financial abuse also, which is illegally or improperly using elders' money benefits or belongings, property or assets for the benefit of yourself or someone else other than the adult who is the owner who has you know ownership of that stuff. So there's um several different types of abuse.
0: Yeah, it's and it's interesting we've seen through COVID um it's just wildly skyrocketing romance scams and perpetrated online or in person. Where, you know, the person says, oh, I love you. I just need some cash because my computer broke. Uh, my car broke. This broke. That broke. And they're just bleeding money out of people. And not, it, you know, we often think of um, it being like one big hit. Like one check for $10,000. But if you make yourself somebody's sweetheart and you can pull a 1000 a month out of their social security or out of their bank accounts for 12 months or ongoing, you can actually take a whole lot more, you know? And, and it's, it's also interesting, you know, we're seeing housing crisis happening and, you know, people moving in together who maybe are not best suited to be together. Uh, Or adult children, you know, sometimes neglect and abandonment can mean making sure that, you know, mom is in the recliner, tipped back because she can't get out of the chair when it's tipped back and giving her her sandwich and and some bottles of water and her meds and going to work and she's stuck in that chair for eight hours. Mm Mm-hmm. And and these are things I think sometimes we don't necessarily think about as abusive because you want the person to be safe, so you're sticking them in the chair, but you're effectively restraining them. And it's it's not okay. And it's it's individ- it's it's not right. What are if there's somebody watching today or listening on the podcast today who thinks mm, Maybe somebody is being abused. What are some of the signs that they could look for?
1: Sure. Um, some people might stop taking part in activities that they used to enjoy, whether it was like going to the senior center, going to play cards, you know, maybe meeting for coffee. You know, maybe they suddenly stop taking part in an activity and they're not necessarily, you know, sick or in a hospital. There's not like an explained reason for that. Um, Some individuals might look messy. They might have like unwashed hair or dirty clothes or a change in their um, appearance. You know, some individuals have trouble with sleeping. They might all of a sudden have a really big weight loss. Um, Some people become withdrawn or they may act agitated. And sometimes they may act, you know, do outbursts where they appear more violent They might display signs of trauma, like rocking back and forth, you know, trying to soothe themselves. They might have unexplained bruises, cuts, scars. Maybe their glasses are broken or they're missing their glasses. Um, You might see some physical signs of punishment of being restrained, maybe like some marks around their wrists, maybe their ankles, you know. Maybe they have really bad bed sores or things that are preventable, like Different illnesses and diseases that are preventable. They might lack some of the medical things they need. They might not have a cane or dentures or a hearing aid. Maybe they're not. They don't have the medications that they need to help. You know, manage whatever they're, whether it's diabetes or high blood pressure or things like that. Um, some people might end up with evictions for unpaid rent or a foreclosure on their mortgage. You know, looking at a home eviction because. Their mortgage hasn't been being paid or their taxes haven't been being paid. They might have hazardous or unsafe and unclean living conditions. So the individual who they're living with is not providing appropriate care and keeping the house up to standards. And they might display signs of insufficient care or have unpaid bills despite of having adequate resources, financial resources to take care of that. And
0: it's, and it's interesting because some of these signs of abuse are things that fall under the category of abuse, but it's also things that an individual can do to themselves. um, And it falls under the category of self neglect. Right. So if you or your loved one is living in squalor and not working on trying to get the home repairs needed or to get the garbage out of the house or um you know you're not eating properly or you're not getting the medication or the food that you need it's also a form of it falls into the category of abuse but it's actually self neglect
1: mm-hmm.
0: and that's one of those things it has to be called in i think you know too often we might see that individual in our neighborhood where you know the roof on the house is highly questionable the grass isn't mowed there's like cars just broken down in the front lawn and we're like eh he chooses to live like that or she chooses to live like that and kind of turn a blind eye but there's help out there for people and it's it's got to get called in like it's amazing
1: Right. I think sometimes people are afraid to intervene, you know, for fear of being called the nosy neighbor or something, but we don't ever really know what's happening. We don't live in the home. We're not a part of it. So when we see things like that and we're not sure or we specifically see major changes like that, it's good to call in because then someone could go out and investigate and ask questions and provide resources and things. To the individual, should it be not be a domestic violence or an intimate partner violence situation, but there's a lot of different resources available to our elderly population that people are not aware of. So just stepping in and being a good neighbor, you know, supportive, interested neighbor, it, it, it could be helping someone in a lot of ways that you may not ever even know,
0: right? And it and sometimes it's for some individuals, it's a matter of getting access. I mean, we don't have yellow pages anymore. So, if mm-hmm. you get a tree that falls in your front yard and the town says you got to clean it up, well, if you have a mobility impairment, you're not going to go out and cut down you know, cut cut up a tree, mm-hmm. but you also don't have a telephone book and might not know Google to find a tree service. So, now you're really kind of stuck. Whereas if we were working as a community, we could say, "Oh, you know, Mr. Smith, like we neighbors are all going to work together to, to get this, or we're going to help you find a tree service or mm-hmm. like those kinds of things. You know, sometimes intimate partner violence escalates, um, and it can escalate for a lot of different reasons. And I know one of the the reasons is caregiver burnout, caregiver stress, Mm -hmm. and caring for older adults who may have mental health issues or substance use disorder issues. What are some of the other risk factors for IPV?
1: So as you said, you know, um, risk factors also include like suicide and homicide. So about 72% of all murder suicides involve an intimate partner you know, that's a pretty significant number. So you think 72% of all murder suicides involve an intimate partner. A lot of times people are shocked and don't recognize or realize that there were situations going on, you know, if I can't have you, no one will. 94% of victims of murder suicides are female. It's a significant number, you know, 94%. And then one in four women in and one in seven men have been victims of severe physical violence by an intimate partner in their lifetime. So you think one in four women and one in seven men.
0: Wow. So if you think about your, your golf buddies, when you're going out for a round of golf, one in seven, mm-hmm. you know, if you've got uh, two four-pack, two two sets of four going out, like somebody there has been a victim. What, right, what can a- you do to, like kind of be more protected. Are there protective factors?
1: There are having strong personal relationships is equitable to powerful protection. So the stronger relationships, the more relationships that you have, the more protection they're saying that you would have. The risk of suicide behavior increases when people suffer from relationship conflict, loss or discord, and the cultivation and maintenance of healthy close relationships can increase their resilience and act as a protective factor against the risk of suicide but if you think about it only you know you don't think about it as only as being a protective factor against the risk of suicide it's a protective factor against a lot of things because when we talk about domestic violence or intimate partner violence it's so intricately personal to somebody and it brings a lot of different a host of emotions like shame and you know, affects your self-worth and I shouldn't be in this situation or I'm really embarrassed that this is happening to me, you know? So it's really hard to talk about those things or share that. But if you have really close relationships and you have those multitude of relationships, people, you get to know you and start maybe able to see the changes, and you might be more apt and more comfortable to open up to someone if they're able to talk about it or ask you questions about it. It opens the door to further conversations.
0: Absolutely. Now, are there long-term effects? You know, I. one of the, the things that people often say is, why don't the victims just leave? And you and I know that there are a million different reasons why. Socioeconomic status, pets, children, housing shortage, no no community connections to support people. So there's a million reasons why people don't just leave. Right. Um, but when individuals who have been victims are able to get out, are there long-term effects of the abuse?
1: There are. You know, a lot of these people um, endure physical injuries. So some of the injuries may be minor, some may be more serious. The more serious ones can last, can have longer lasting and lead to disabilities. They make their existing health problems worse. They may lead to premature death. There's emotional issues. You might know specifically in older population, a decline in their cognitive ability, not necessarily due to a dementia or Alzheimer's diagnosis, but due to the emotional concept of, of trying to deal with everything that's happening with them. They may be more fearful, anxious or depressed. so you have an increase in mental health issues. They may have problems with trusting others so it's going to be really challenging to get help if you already have a trust you know barriers to trust um and you know emotionally you're destroying social and family ties and it could be devastating financial losses and so much more and we want to really recognize that any type of mistreatment can leave the abused person feeling fearful or and depressed and sometimes the victim tends to think it may be his or her own fault So when you're feeling like you're personally responsible for something, that also makes it much more challenging to go ahead and ask for help.
0: Absolutely. And so what else can older adults do to stay safe?
1: Well, Deb, thank you. And you're having this um, podcast today to educate seniors, professionals, caregivers and the public about abuse it's critical to prevention. So the more people are able to know and the more they're aware of the issues, the better they can be. And for adults, you can stay safe by taking care of your health, seeking professional help, making sure you keep your doctor's appointment. If you need any drug, alcohol, mental health issue, you know, you have any drug, alcohol, and mental health issues, get help for those. There's ask your family members, talk to your providers. There's a lot of programs out there to support people and getting treatment for those issues. Attend support groups for spouses. Learn about domestic violence services. There's a lot of resources and a lot of services just in our own state of Rhode Island. Plan for your own future. Think about your future, you know, what do you want to do when you're as you're aging? Where are you going to live? Who's going to be able to take care of um, your financial or medical issues if you're no longer able to take care of them yourself? You know, have a you know, get a power of attorney, make a living well, address your healthcare decisions. Make sure you talk to people about what those decisions are and what you really want. You know, it helps avoid confusion and conflict in family members later on when, you know, something urgent, emergent comes up, and you all of a sudden are faced with this life and death situation, and you have to make a decision, and you have five people in a room that all have different ideas about what they think you want.
0: Oh, that's like the healthcare practitioner's worst nightmare right there.
1: Right. Pre-planning is really important. And, you know, if you need help, seek independent advice from someone you trust before signing any documents. Don't sign things that you're not clear about that you don't understand. And don't sign in a rush or in any haste. If something needs to be signed immediately like that, that would even be a bigger sign for me to say, nope. I need to step back. I need someone else to look at this. I'm not going to sign anything just just it has to be done now
0: exactly there's nothing that is usually ever that urgent and if someone is making you sign something by withholding something else for example um, dad if you don't sign the house over to me you'll never see the grandkids again that's abuse
1: exactly and that's using you know emotional power over somebody and that's not okay and, Absolutely. you know, and the more active you're able to stay in your community and stay connected with family and friends, it helps decrease social isolation. And, you know, people who are better connected are less apt to have long-term experiences or issues related to elder abuse. Absolutely. The more isolated you are, the, the, the higher the increased mm-hmm. chance of you um, engaging or being, you know, involved in some type of abuse is, you know, the the cost goes up higher. The chances of it happening are higher.
0: Absolutely. And I think it's really important for people to understand the rights that we have in our home are the same rights that we have in long-term care. So we have the right to meet with people. We have the right to handle our own money. We have the right to vote. We have the right to, to come and go as we please all those different rights. That doesn't change if somebody is in a long-term care setting. So if they're in a nursing home or an assisted living facility, like you still retain those rights.
1: Right. And if if you have any issues with it, they have the long-term care ombudsman and the numbers should be posted and should be provided to you if you are in a nursing home.
0: Yep. And I can tell you that's the 401-785-3340. For the long term care ombudsman, they're there to help resolve conflicts between residents and the facility to get those things resolved. Um, If you feel like somebody is being abused in a nursing home, you can certainly notify the Rhode Island Department of Health Facilities Regulation at 401 222 5200. And I can drop those in the chat um, so that people will have that because that's really important for folks to understand. Um, Who else? How does mandatory reporting go? Who are mandatory reporting, Lori?
1: Okay. So mandatory reporters are any providers, medical providers, nurses, doctors, social workers, psychologists, psychiatrists, teachers. You know, we're all mandated reporters for child abuse and elder abuse. There's not a specific mandated reporter or law related to intimate partner violence. But if they are, if it's related to an elder involved in intimate partner violence, then that is definitely reportable to as an elder abuse issue. And you know, we wanna contact the Office of Healthy Aging to file a report. In Rhode Island, that phone number is 401-462-0555. For Connecticut, it's one 385 4225 and Massachusetts is 1-800-426-9009.
0: That's awesome. We've covered a lot of information this morning, Laurie. If people maybe uh, are aware of a veteran in need, and maybe that veteran is experiencing IPV, What is the best way for them to be able to reach you at your office over at the VA? I'm assuming you're on the Providence VA Medical Center's campus, first of all. I am.
1: Okay. And my phone number is 401-273-7100, extension 14262.
0: Awesome. And you can help people navigate to get the help and resources they need?
1: right so veterans their caregivers their loved ones significant others i could help someone in the community um i would give them community resources there's a lot of different community resources out there like elder care locator consumer financial protection bureau the national adult protective services association the national center on elder abuse the national domestic violence hotline you know, the National Elder Fraud Hotline, US Department of Justice. So there's a, a zillion different kind of resources out there for community people. And if you're in a community and you feel like that's happening, talk to your providers, talk to your, you know, your PCPs, your nurse practitioners, your, you know, call your doctor's office, even your dentist office and people in there would know like at least where to refer you to. Anybody that you feel like you have trust in reach out to them and just say, I'm concerned. I have an issue. You know, I really would like to talk to someone. Could you point me in the right direction?
0: That's it. And you know, just reach out. If you think Mm -hmm. that your loved one is involved with something that is not safe, reach out for help. You don't have to be, um, You can do it anonymously. That's what I'm trying to say is, you know, you can say, yeah, I really think this, this new woman poking around is really after money or this, this new man coming around is, you know, really trying to intimidate and, and, and scare off the rest of the family to, to isolate my loved one, like call and report it. And, 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 People retain the right to continue to remain in unsafe situations, even as they age.
1: Right. You know, we always um, talk about the individual's right to self-determination, to make their own choices. So as long as they're cognizant and aware of what they're doing, they have the right to make those choices. But I think the one thing that we really want to think about as elders, even though as we age, we're still human. We still have emotions and feelings. We still need that connection to a significant other, to family and friends. And, you know, sometimes when you're lonely, we sometimes open ourselves up to other things that may not be quite kosher or healthy. And we want to just be aware of what we're doing.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Lori, you've shared a lot of information today and I really, really appreciate you taking the time to come on Friday Friends in the month of June to help us raise awareness of, of elder abuse. And the information that you've provided in relation to the veterans has been saddening but super important. So I'm, I'm really glad that you came on today. Thank you.
1: Oh, Thank you so much for having me. It was my pleasure.
0: Well, everybody, we went a little long today, but the amount of information we covered, it's absolutely critical. I really, really hope that you have hit the like button and the share button on this one because we, we as a society have to look out for each other and protecting each other and our neighbors and our friends and our families from elder abuse is something that we are all responsible for doing so if you suspect elder abuse please call the rhode island office of healthy aging at the 401-462-0555 you're watching in connecticut it's 888-385-4225 and in mass it's 1-800-426-9009 so tough conversation today but I'm really glad that we were able to get this information out to everybody because this is something that is super important. And it's something that is important to me personally to raise awareness about. So I look forward to seeing all of you next week. In the meantime, be well and be kind. If you like this video, please follow us on social media and subscribe on YouTube. For
1: more information, visit rielderinfo.com or call four zero one five eight five zero five zero nine. If you have any questions, email deb at rielderinfo.com.